Rule Gang Away Spinners of Yarns podcast with Chris Lowe. Indeed. Ex of the Apostles. The Apostles, eh? The Parkinson's. Parkinson's. The uh, Poly- Oi Poly. Political Asylum. Quango. Who else? Someone else I'm forgetting. Part one. Aye, aye. A fair roster. A fair roster. Disc jockey, photographer, journalist. Uh, many uh, many other things too. Yeah, chancer. <laughs> Aren't we all? So it's kind of like, where where were you born? Were you born in, right back in the beginning in Stirling? In, in, um, well, uh, aye, sort of round about there, or Dublin maybe, I'm not really quite sure where I was, where I was actually born to be honest. It's one of these things, it's kind of like, when my mum was there, I was, I was just kind of thinking, oh, there's one thing you never told me about the way, where I didn't, she's just kind of, oh, more, more morphine, more morphine, so I never actually found out where I was born. <laughs> But um, basically, I remember spending a very, very early time in life in Bewley Street in Dublin. So it might have been there, and we, and we moved to Stirling when I was about 18, 18 months old or something. Okay. And, and, then, and then basically just grew up in Stirling. So I was in Stirling until uh, 1986 when I moved right. through to Edinburgh. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, it's different for me because when, you know, me moving to Scotland in 78, it was yeah, a yeah. big culture clash, you know, yes, it was yes. totally different. Was that where from you, you're originally from yourself? Uh, from Middlesbrough, right. we were living in Nottinghamshire at that yeah. point, or just outside Mansfield, and, it, you know, moving to Scotland, it was a totally different culture, you know, but if you, you were growing up in there, yeah, you know, yeah. you kind of like, that's your, uh-huh. you know, your social conditioning. Yes, you yes, know? indeed, so, indeed. So you, you kind of like, when did music come about because you got into punk quite early I got, on I got didn't into you? punk crazy early like about 78 or something and I, I was actually thinking about this the other day what it was I remember being outside the Thistle Centre in Stirling and seeing some of the first punks I ever saw yeah. and it, and then I later saw that one of them was actually Mary who was the bass player in, was the bass player or guitarist guitarist in the fakes right. and uh, so I must have probably maybe like her and Johnny and maybe a few other folk I remember seeing them outside the Stirling uh, shopping centre you know with all like I remember one of them had like a kind of yellow like uh, oil skin kind of jacket. I can still remember it. Really yellow kind of, but obviously just looking like, you know, they'd been beamed down from outer space or something. It was just like, fucking hell. And when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I want to be like that. Yeah. And then um, maybe like the next weekend or the weekend after, there was, I think it was like The Observer or something. One of the colour supplements had really one of these iconic um, features on punk, like a cover feature, yeah. you know, loads of photos and stuff like that. I remember seeing that, and I was just remember thinking like, "Oh, this is for me." So I kind of like ident- I remember like sticking safety pins in like all my clothes, just like kind of just sticking safety. Pins. Well, I'm a what are you doing? What are you doing that for? Sir? I'm a punk mom, <laughs> you know. I'd never even heard any punk music or anything. I think it yeah. was like a good a good while afterwards that I actually even heard punk music. But then again, the house we grew up in overlooked Bridge of Allen, uh, the youth club. Basically, right. across, on the other side of the wall was the yeah. youth club, yeah. where they had the discos every Friday and Saturday. Yeah. So. You know, I just basically sit and look out my window because you'd always see fights and you'd always see like folk kind of like shagging between the cars at night after the disco and stuff as well. Um, so that's basically what I used to do. And you'd also hear all the music, Yeah. you know? So I'd be hearing, you know, you'd hear these things and it was only like, you know, later you actually kind of realise, oh, these are punk songs and stuff, you know? Yeah. So you'd be hearing all the sort of classics and everything like that. But also, you know, stuff I do on a summer I feel love and uh, all kind of disco things. So I think that's what really kind of informed my taste in music. Yeah. You know, kind of the distorted sounds of funk basically being filtered through like a wall <laughs> up to like my window. Yeah. And uh, kind of like, you know, electronic dance music, yeah. which is basically what's kind of, what I've kind of stuck with for the past 45 years or something. Yeah. Because I, I moved to Lungs in the, the middle of 78 and the first thing I really saw was like young kids 
bit older than me, you know, I was 12 at that yeah. point. And they, they all had kind of like Chansix and I. Yeah, yeah, big badges. Written, yeah, yeah. written on the, the yeah, shirts yeah, with a, yeah. bit, a bit of a tear and, yes. the, big, and the big badges because yeah, yeah. it was about big yeah. badges at yeah, that point. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And uh, you, you then slowly, you, 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 it's, the attraction is kind of, like, I suppose, fitting in more than Well, exactly, else, exactly. You know? I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, again, trying to like, kind of explain this to people, it's basically about then, as we know yourself, there was two things you went to. It was like football and music. Yeah. You know, and I was never, I've never really into football. I was never yeah. really a football guy. So it was just like music was my big thing. Yeah. And also the other thing was the house we, house we grew up in, there was like, uh, so there was like, basically like shared back garden and it was like four houses. Right. And two of them were like the Bocelli brothers who've got the Bridge of Allen <coughs> fish and chip shop. And they were into punk as well. Yeah. So, you know, immediately we'd be, you know, that's what you'd, oh, you know, you'd sort of be pulling your resources, you know, one of you would buy a UK subs album one week, next next week someone would get the Angelic Upstarts album and then you'd yeah. kind of take them and you'd be around each other's houses all the time. Yeah. And then there was like, in the estate, just across, there was like John Cummings and loads of, I mean, there was just, you know, a small place like that, like Bridge of Allen, just a mile or two from Stirling. Loads and loads and loads of punks. Yeah. Amazing, you know. Yeah. And it was quite easy to dress yourself up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly, you, exactly. There was none of the... You didn't yeah. have to buy Vivian Westwood yeah. kind of like clothes, yeah. you yeah. know. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing, it's just like, you look at, you know, sometimes you'll see these photographs posted on Instagram and folk will, folk will be saying things like, oh, no, no, that's definitely like the post-punk style, that's, that these photos would be like probably 1980 or 81. I was going, no, you're talking fish, that, that is just how people look in 1978. Yeah. You know, you'd be, I mean, you'd be lucky if even you had like kind of tight trousers and stuff. I remember, you know, like trying to get my mum to take in, you know, I've got like photos of me, but I just have these kind of like flary, flary brown cords. And then... Oh, so, so, aye, so I was just saying, you know, so basically, one week you'd be walking about with, you know, your plimsolls, you know, your sort of gutties, yeah, yeah. and uh, and like big flary cords, and the next week, you know, you'd have got your mum to take your big flary cords in, so you'd have really kind of awkward, skin-tight, brown flary cords, yeah. and a pair of like Dunlop Green Flash, and, yeah. you know, just some... I need a, you'd have sort of scrawled like kind of Sham 69, stuck loads of safety pins in, maybe like nicked some zips off an old pair of trousers and just kind of stuff. I've got I've, amazing photos like that. And also, crazy I've actually got a really cracking photo of me and the Bocelli brothers in our garden just outside our houses. And you know, things like, you know, you, things which, because you were a kid, you would have these things. That's something yeah. I realised. So basically, Neil Bocelli's got. You know, stuff from the joke shop, like hanging off his jacket, like safety pin, like a big skeleton and stuff like that. Yeah. And I've got like um, a, a kind of monster from like an air You know, you get these, you make up a dinosaur, I've got like a kind of dinosaur hanging off my belt and stuff. Just mad. But absolutely fantastic. Brilliant stuff. I mean, we've got, <coughs> we've got phases of kind of like sewing on zips on yeah. trousers. Yeah. And I think that probably why I changed from a punk to a skinhead is because I could wear that all the time. Yeah. I, kind of like yes. that. I always felt with my punk stuff, I always came out for the, aye, the school aye, disco aye. On, yeah, on, yeah, once yeah. a month on the Friday yeah, night, yeah. you know, and I, I kind of like, I suppose, I dressed obviously in, in a kind of fashion, but yeah. I, I, I think because you, you could wear that uniform a bit yeah. more regular, Yeah, it's a much more utilitarian you know. look. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's I mean, Tying into that, one of the things I just thought, another thing I remember thinking was just like absolute, an absolute kind of genius stroke yeah. of bushels was like the invention of like kind of Herberts, that, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Obviously, you know, I mean, you know, it's like he, people will say, oh, he claimed to have invented, or he claimed to have invented skinheads. No, he never, he never did any of that, but he did invent Herberts yeah, as yeah. a actual kind of specific yeah. subcultural group, sub, subculture, uh, 
within but, within but, sort of punk or skinhead. But there was yeah. never really a, a definition, no, was it? it? It was a wide thing to cover anybody well, it who wasn't, wasn't a punk. Yeah, who wasn't, wasn't a punk, but also about, like punk. About, about who wouldn't let you know their, their parents wouldn't let them get like yeah, spiky yeah. hair or yeah. a crop. Yeah, Basically, yeah. to be a Herbert, all you need yeah. to do is just like have a Harrington, yeah, maybe yeah. put on a cloth cap. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I remember like really really early Oi gigs. There's loads of their mates from school. They said obviously like kind of cottoned on at their school or whatever. And obviously loads of their mates from school weren't punks. Yeah. But you, so you go along and there's you know, like 20 or 30 sort of 14 year olds there and like Harrington's with like flat caps and they obviously just nicked off their granddad. And they're kind of like, we are the Herberts. <laughs> and it's really bizarre. In Tokyo now there's like a, you know, as you can imagine, the way they're so into like their youth culture and everything like that, there's now like a kind of Herbert scene in Tokyo. There's even like a Herbert clothes shop. Yeah, called wow. Herberts. <laughs> Because Steve formed a band, didn't he? Yeah, the four, band, the four Herberts. Yeah. The four Herberts. And what was their song? It was all like kind of foreskins and last resort <laughs> covers, like We Are Herberts in State Press. I think it's We Are Herberts in Harrington. And that's what it was, Herberts in Harrington, instead of Skinheads in State Press. The four so, Herberts. So on Herbert sound music. <laughs> so going back to 78, you, uh, kind of like, you went to a punk gig earlier than me, and I'm older than you. You, well, you saw Sham 69, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. 78. Yeah. yeah uh, right. I think it was actually I think it was actually 79. 79. It was basically yeah. The Sham Pistols. Ah, the Sham Pistols. It was just when um it was meant to be Sham's last stand. Yeah. Which they wanted and all following the trouble at the Rainbow Ballroom, I think it was. I think the Rainbow was after. Oh was it? Was Maybe it yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it Well was basically after. they would had this they'd, they were gonna be splitting up or something like that and they were always having these farewell gigs. In London, which would always always end up in chaos and smashed up. So yeah. I think on this occasion they decided to have their um, farewell show in Glasgow Apollo, and this was this was just after the Sex Pistols had split up. Yeah, and so you can imagine, you know, like first gig, you know, you're just like, oh fucking, this is amazing. But I was banging the Sham 69 at the time. Um, so and then you know that that's like good enough. You know, that's just like absolute. One of the things you can't really put into words is how exciting it is like that yeah, yeah, when you're a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the next thing is like Steve Jones and Paul Cook come on stage for the encore and they do like I think it was White Riot they opened with and did Pretty Vacant and you know a few of the kind of like Pistols classics and stuff like that. It was just incredible, yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing gig. But before yeah. that, I'd actually been to what subsequently been reported as a the Stirling Punk Festival. Although it wasn't really a Stirling Punk Festival, it was essentially like Rag Week. At the university, yeah. and it was like loads of Sterling punk bands, and some from a bit further away, like the, I think the Cuban Heels played, maybe right. the Cheetahs, yeah, yeah. I think Edinburgh, or somewhere Glasgow, yeah, yeah. or something kind yeah. of outside there, um, all playing on top of the roof. And was it the Ghana King? It was just basically the Students Union. They had like a roof where all the bands were playing them there, and the Fakes were playing there. And yeah. Jamesy at the Fakes, bass player in the Fakes, um, actually lived in a house next door to us. Okay, it was this house next door to us, which was known as it was known as the kind of hairy house. Because it was generally kind of like hippies who lived there. And James <laughs> Jamesy was just like classic kind of skinhead then, anyway. But there is some of the other. It's like the drummer from that band, Shoe Peru, who were like uh, the Scottish, the Scottish uh, Captain Beefheart or something. Okay. Real kind of like free form kind of like. Where, where, where were they from? They're from Stirling. From Stirling, yeah. Okay. But they actually they played. They supported the Rizzolos a few times, which was right. quite strange. They yeah. recorded like a, a fake album. They meant to be recorded at Glasgow Apollo, but it yeah. wasn't. It was a yeah, studio yeah. album. But um, their drummer Dave. He lived next door. That was the first time I think I ever did up going a drum kit. He used to have like this really enormous, big, kind of like 70s proggy style drum kit. So I think that must have been an influence as well. So you, that's that's when you took up drumming then? No, no, no. I didn't really take up drums <coughs> till I was 11. Right, okay. So Sham was 79, Yeah, so I'd have been, I'd have been you were eight, nine. Nine, nine. Nine, Yeah. But as the, you know, the other thing is, 
people say, oh, how, how could you be going to gigs when you're nine and stuff? That wasn't like an uncommon thing then. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's basically within that year I'd have seen Sham, Pistols, Clash, Skids. And uh, I saw Crass in 1980. First time I saw Crass, I'd have been about 10 or something, yeah. still in Albert Hall. Yeah. And, but that, but loads of my mates, you know, loads of my mates, when it's loads of my mates would be going on these gigs. At these gigs, you'd see loads of other folk of a similar age. Yeah. It wasn't like, it was very, very different. It was just loads of, loads of young kids went into punk. Funnily enough, I was just seeing that, that um, film Dance Craze is getting a DVD yeah. release yeah. recently. And I remember watching that, I remember seeing that and thinking, you know, and pointing out, I said, look at all the kids on the stage when you see like the footage of two-tone gigs and stuff. I remember yeah. seeing the two-tone tour of Stirling University as well. I was yeah, 79 yeah. or something, yeah. about nine. Look at all these kids. They all look about eight or nine. It's because they were about eight or nine. It was yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kids. Yeah. And it's particularly the two-tone thing as well, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of really young kids into that. Because like, even I remember kind of thinking like, that's for kids. Scars for kids. Because I'm like kind of 10 now. And you're like, not, you know, you're not, you're not even into double figures. You know, my mates, we brothers were about seven and stuff, wearing like pork pie hats. Crazy. Because I, I, I remember, it must have been 79, and the two tone tour had just been at Scotland. Yeah. And they, they did a, a night in Mid Calder. Yeah, in, in, I know. In, you know Mid Calder of all yeah. places. And two of the older lot, who were four years older than, than us, George and uh, Jings, they were doing the Chaz Smash. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The yeah. <laughs> when you're 12, you're like. Yeah. I know, I know, and, and, and then basically the week after, the week after that two-tone gig up, yeah, like everybody at every school disco across the land was yeah. probably doing all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally remember it, I. Did you yeah. have, because at our school we had certain records that were banned from yes, playing. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, The Can Can was yes. banned. All right. You know, because it, it just caused chaos. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Piranhas was banned because of uh, the, the the football song that would come right, afterwards, right, right. you know. Did we have songs like that? No, no, no. I just remember we'd always get, there was always just like, sometimes you'd, you'd just hear, do, 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 do. all right, Miss Garvey, and someone had managed to sneak flinging and the rigging on. I kind of like school journey, they kind of rushing over and grabbing it off and putting like Brotherhood of Man or whatever it was yeah. on in its place. So we, the we, birthday song. We were like probably about three, three four punk songs in the night at the school distance. Yeah. And I do remember of One Skin being kind of like a, a, one of the most popular punk songs yeah. in 79, yeah. 1980, because it speeded up. Yes. And when you're a young yeah. kid, you can yeah, go yeah. mad yeah, yeah, and yeah. then yeah. just calm down yeah. and then go mad yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, but they, they, were, they were always quite important back then to get yourself acclimatised to, you know, adulthood. I yes, suppose, indeed, indeed. You know? Well, you know, it's still negotiating um, your territory as a. As an adolescent coming into like teenage years yeah, and, yeah. and all the kind of like chaos, you know angst that goes with that. Yeah, but one one of the things that was happening around the back then, there were so many new bands coming through, there were oh, so yes. many new yeah. genres coming yeah. through. Yeah. You know, obviously punk was punk, and then yeah. after that you had the new wave, but yes. then you had the second wave of uh, uh, punk bands, you yeah. know, like the Rejects and yes, the yes, yes, and the Roots. Yeah, you know, and then kind of like after that it all started getting yeah. breaking up. Yes, oh, very true, very true, very true. But, but you know, for a for a really kind of wonderful period, probably around about 1980, it was just kind of like all punk music. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. you go and see Crash one week. Yeah, and then you go to like the Edinburgh nightclub and see yeah. like the Four Skins the next week. Yeah, and you'd see lots of the same kind of yeah. folk. And it wasn't there wasn't like any any of that kind of sectarian demarcation yeah. between the you know the sort of subcults. Yeah, but at that, at that point. I although, although I actually think that kind of tribalist element is also integral to yeah. the development of subcultures in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. One of the, one of the things, I, I, I saw Crass when they did the nightclub, Aye. the under-18. I, I wasn't to that the one. Under, the under-18 um, yeah. gig, and I, I remember I couldn't connect with the band at all, yeah. because 
I felt it was too old. For oh me, yeah, yeah. You know, and they've these, got these voices that sound like school teachers yeah. and stuff. And it's but just like there were these old men on stage, yeah. and I'm like, hold on. And I can remember specifically just moving back from the front. Yeah. You know, and just moving back and just kind of like just not being, just not connecting with yeah. the band at yeah. all. I think also the military kind of like yes. all black. Yeah. The television. Yeah. The, the banners. Yeah. It, it felt as if they were preaching to, to me, and yeah. I was just like. That's not really what I, I come to a music game yeah. for. Yeah, know? no, no, very true. But I'm that's why I kind of like developed perspective on it. Which, yeah. which, you know, even like a year or two of, you know, mental emotional development yeah. provides you with. But I mean, I remember when I, I mean, one of the things which really kind of amazed me was when I went to see them at Sterling Albert Hall, and I think that was maybe like, it was fairly early 1979 or 80. Yeah. But what I remember is basically only a few months before, I'd been to see. I'd been taken by the school to see Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, yeah. You know this Christian yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sort of theatre production at yeah. the same venue. Yeah. So like there was that, and then a few months later it's like crashing in like so what and yeah. I don't know if they did reality asylum at the time. I don't yeah. think so, but you know what I mean. It was yeah, just like. Yeah. That. And then the only other time I'd been to that was to see Giant Haystacks, Big Daddy and Giant <laughs> Haystacks at the wrestling one Saturday. My uncle took me. We, we've had this conversation before. We had Andy Robbins. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah, Grizzly, Grizzly Robbins. twice and he yeah. kept putting, the next time I come, yeah. I'll bring Hercules. And he never bought Hercules. You know, he did it twice. He never ever bought Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. But we were all pulled into it like, oh, he's bringing Hercules. Yeah. Oh. We'll get tickets for yeah. the next one. Well, his, well, he was just up kind of Sheriff Muir up in, up in Stirling. Yeah. So there used to be this place, it was right by Everhead. There was this place, the Royal Hotel. And you'd always see, you get off the school bus and sometimes they'd be like, you used to have this trailer thing with Hercules just on the back of the, but with, you know, like the wire, it was, I don't know what you call it, just like a sort of cage, but quite, quite large chunks. I was always quite surprised then. And like, you get off the bus, so obviously there's like, immediately there's about 40 kids trying to stick their fingers in and like getting sticks and bye, fucking give Hercules <laughs> a pull again to like buy, you know, buy whatever his name's hands off. Just, I'm really amazed that nobody ever did. But then when he kept on escaping, remember yeah. he'd keep on escaping and, yeah, yeah. and it's gonna find I don't know what he was kinda of drugged up on or he something. Was up on <laughs> yeah, the kind of lethargic yeah, yeah. there. Slothfully, slothfully kind of like wrestling the drunk Andy Robbins. Oh glorious seventies entertainment, can't beat it. I mean yeah, he was, he was, yeah. like I said he, he performed twice and it was just really it wasn't entertaining yeah you know, but you got sucked into it you know um, so he, when did he take up playing the drums then uh, when i was 11 i got yeah. um no i still remember this when the fake split up jamesy and johnny and a couple of other four formed a band called new youth i think the drummer was called les i went to went to one of the practices once i genuinely can't remember if the first drum kit i got was les's drum kit or i got it from roadshow music anyway which okay. was um just a wee kind of like music shop and uh, he used to do second hand records in Bridge of Allen, Okay. Um, just off the, off the main street in Bridge of Allen. That was, a, that was a brilliant place. It's basically just every day you'd go up there hoping there would be like new second hand records. Some of my first records I ever, ever owned I actually bought from there. Yeah. And first drum equipment I ever had I got from there as well. And the first, the first drum kit I got, actually I'm thinking about it, it probably wasn't Lizzie's, but the first drum kit I got, oh my God, it was like such a piece of utter pesh. It was about maybe like 20 pounds. And I had one cymbal, I had a cymbal, no I didn't have a cymbal, I had a hi-hat, which I didn't, cause that's, that's the other thing, it's like when I, when I took the drums, I, I just suddenly decided I wanted to run, Angelic Up Stars Police Oppression. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I, that's the first song that I remember listening to and just thinking, oh, like the drums are the best, bet on it, and I just remember I used to listen to that and just kind of, I'd set up like a wee drum kit with like books and uh, like, uh, it was a Cadbury's assortment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the yeah. lid of that. 
hell are you doing? And then I, and then bass drummer said, "Oh, there's this drum kit going." So I got that, and it didn't have a bass pedal. Right. Okay. So I'd been technically like drumming. Yeah. And playing political asylum. Played my first two, two or three gigs before I even knew that a drum kit was made of a bass pedal. Yeah, yeah. I remember in 1982 being down in the Central Ibérico watching Conflict, and that's the first time when I ever actually noticed that there was something else going on. And I remember looking and seeing Paco and seeing his foot going, and goes, oh, there's that bass pedal thing. What's that all about? And telling my mate Hulan, who lived in one of the houses across from me. I went, aye. So I went down, so I went down to see, you know, I've seen this band Conflict. Oh, man, that drummer's fucking amazing. We had this kind of mad, he was standing in this thing, and it was like kind of hitting the, hitting the big drum, and it goes, aye, that's, that's a bass pedal. And I was going, oh, what's that? I goes, aye, you drunk, you don't know. no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, the first part, I remember there's a, there's a recording in Kill Your Pet Puppy of about the third, third or fourth political asylum gig. And that was uh, the first gig when I had a bass pedal. Yeah. And I'd actually learned how to use a bass pedal. But up to then, I would say, I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about 4-4s four or, you know, no, no ability in, and not even any kind of interest in having any. You know, it's like I'd never watched dramas. I'd never yeah. watched, you know, kind of Mitch Mitchell or, you know, all these... Seminal drummers, that, yeah, 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 Bill Ward, everything like that. Yeah. All these kind of drummers that later on you, you kind of nicking, nicking your fills from and all yeah. that. I was just, you know, I just do the old kind of Mo Tucker, you know, sort of caveman bongo drums, da, 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 da. just basically just do that on the drums and then kind of hit the hi hat every now and again like a cymbal and just, just do whatever. As you can hear on the Abbey Put Class Island recordings. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you. you learning to play the drums but you started coming to London quite young yeah similar because well, I started coming to London when I was 14 because it was more exciting yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than Livingston and, yeah, and, and, yeah. and Edinburgh yeah. and, and you just bunk point, bunk trains down as well and at that point there was no punk gigs in Scotland yeah. I think after that exploited gig yeah. at the nightclub yeah. that was it there was no punk gigs in Edinburgh really happened yeah know? yeah. No, right enough actually it was quite hell apart from those big things you'd get those kind of like gathering of the clans type yeah. tours with yeah, Crone yeah. Gen, yeah. Vice Squad, yeah. you know, all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good gigs, but yeah. yeah. We never got in. Yeah. <laughs> it all kicked off outside. But uh, yeah. All generally all kicked off inside as well. They were mad. But that's, you know, it's just, another thing is just, it, you know, back then, every gig you go to, you'd expect there to be chaos and big fights to sort of kick off and stuff like that. If you were to go out somewhere now and you saw, you know, violence of, a, of that level of brutality. Yeah. You know, there's no way we'd even go back to the place. We wouldn't yeah. even go to that town again. Yeah. But the other thing that I remember quite early on was, and if I was a singer in the band, I'd be straight in the, in the audience kicking off. Is how much spitting went went on oh, at the yeah. gigs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then yeah. I, I was involved in it. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, and he's just like, why? 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 You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what punks do. Yeah, no, but it's just like, why? Yeah. I'd, I'd be like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. I, I remember, I can't remember where it was, I saw an anxiety, maybe it was that, that last Suede gig, last Suede Community Centre outside Edinburgh or something, yeah. where the Poison Girls total exposure, and they played two gigs, they played like an afternoon show, yeah. I think it was in the second gig, afternoon show was alright, I think it was in the second gig, just any anxiety, just being, because I remember I'd, and it's of these things, you know, as, year, as years have gone on, I want my music tastes become a, a bit more kind of like, you know, avant-garde and experimental as it yeah. was back then. But I was always like really mesmerised by an anxiety. Everybody was like, oh, she's fucking shy, you know, just fucking garbage. But I was always like quite kind of mesmerised by her performances and just trying to like work out what she was doing and everything. But I remember at that game, she was just just hanging. You know, it's like the kind of end of like one of these Japanese bukkake videos or something. She was just like hanging, just like all over. It was like fucking hell, man. 
I think in a lot of ways the fanzines actually in some ways made more of an impact yeah. than all the actual music. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I think it was the fanzines were the the aspect to it all that I kind of engaged in more get engaged with most. I think yeah. I'd always liked writing. I've yeah. always like you know, I've always just really, really enjoyed writing. Yeah. Um well, I was quite English was about the only th- English and art were the only things I was any good at at school. So I quite quickly just, I, I think I just decided I wanted to do my own fanzine. And, and then, um, because I'd only seen such a small number of fanzines prior to that, yeah. I think, you know, you've not really got those, that many reference points. So, you know, I, I, I think I did a thing on, I just basically reviewed all the Discharge records. I, I think just only Why had just come out quite recently at that time. Yeah. So I just like, reviewed all the different songs. Just my own, it's like really crap. You know, yeah. record reviews written by an 11 year old or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, wrote off to Crass, who, you know, to their great credit, answered my very kind of naive <laughs> and repetitive and crap questions. And who else probably did a thing on like some local bands. I mean, I did three issues of the fanzine, um, you know, that featured the fakes, local yeah. bands, just kind of mates' bands from school and things like that. Um, Souls of record reviews, gig reviews, but a very, um, a very Catholic. And broad-based representation of the punk scene then so yeah. you know I could be featuring the alternative or something and I'd also have uh, you know the exploited for instance you know so I'd kind of have anarcho bands and the bands that were at that time you know you get oi bands you wouldn't call but street punk as a kind of genre didn't really exist then no. I don't think you no. call them bushel bands you used to call yeah, them bushel yeah. bands yeah you know yeah um, so you get that by the third issue I got totally um, you know, kind of immersed in the, you know, anarcho-punk scene and sort of culture and everything like that. So the third issue of the fanzine is more, a more kind of like a rote uh, anarcho-zine with, you know, conflict, crash, rebel, valley, yeah, yeah. alternative, yeah, blah, 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 you know, A to Z of fanzines, you know, articles on, you know, why you don't want to go fox hunting <laughs> and all these things which are really of great, great relation to the general demographic of you buying the fanzine. I, I remember... We yeah, don't participate in the apartheid regime, you know, things like that. I remember family friends, uh, son being around our, our flat in Edinburgh with my dad and uh, his dad and he was advocating community shoplifting. Yeah. And we, we just ripped a piss out of him for two hours. Uh, apologies if you see this. Uh, but it was quite funny because he says yeah. that it, it couldn't work. You know, yeah. what I mean, it comes to a point where all the food runs out. You know, it's just like, you know, you, you have to have some kind of structure. Yeah. And some entrepreneurs, and some entrepreneurs got it on. And yeah. It's like for double the price. Yeah, there you go. So it was, it was quite idealistic, anarcho punk. Oh yeah, totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, that's the whole. That's why uh, I mean, I've always said, you know, after nine, after nineteen eighty four, even a good while before nineteen eighty four, essentially when when crafts were kind of on the way out. It all just kind of dissipated then, yeah. and then you almost got this. It was kind of like basically, you know, who who's going to basically fill Crass's throne? And it was like, and it was almost like a parallel with what you got in the late eighties with the uh, uh, Oasis and Blur yeah. sort of acrimony. You know, you've got the the way it's kind of portrayed as like the arty, more kind of middle class chumbawamba, which in I understand wasn't actually really the case as well. But that's yeah, kind yeah. of how it was perceived, yeah. and the more lumpen sort of conflict yeah um, which is probably fairly accurate at the time to an extent as well but neither of them neither of them really had that much that much appeal you know I think by that time I think just you just kind of move away from it you know yeah. by the time I was like 13, 14 yeah you know you're into like you're just into like kind of smoking hash and kind of getting off with girls and stuff yeah, you yeah, know yeah. and you realise that if you're playing in some anarcho-punk band 
you know, you've not really got much chance like that. So we ended up like kind of getting into like Japan and you know, all kind of like bleaching our hair, kind of wearing eyeliner and like long coats and stuff. A lot more, got a lot more finger sex. I managed to like smoke a lot more draw sort of doing that. But um, but but that, that was you know for me. For me, it was like different areas because as soon as I moved to Edinburgh, my musical taste yeah, started yeah, to change. Yeah. It, this is like the beginning of '83, uh, and it, even then, six months later, I moved to Manchester, and yeah. it was like Manchester was really just black music, yeah, know, yeah. electro, hip hop, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and soul, yeah. funk. Yeah. So you kind of like you, yeah. you evolve. Yeah. It's not something like that's it. That's what I'm into tonight. Just yeah. slowly over a period, yeah. you get acclimatised to, yeah. uh, to oh, exactly. new music. But I mean, you know? but I mean, as you say, it was. You know, in every aspect, I mean, it's very, very kind of basic music. Yeah. And I think basic music appeals to people who haven't really got that, you know, their, their, their musical taste aren't really that developed. It's yeah. mind wearing. You know, it's like literally punk was a sort of, you know, ground zero. Yeah. You know, when I got into music, the first music I ever got into was punk. I was, only, I was aware of actually just liking a few, a couple of songs before punk. Yeah. You know, I remember what they call Dead End Kids. Yeah, yeah. It is a song, I've, you've got the right to, to, to yeah, yeah. kind of perennial basic yeah, yeah. role or support yeah, yeah. act. I remember thinking that was really good. I remember like, not even school discos, you know, basically the last day of term when the teacher had put on the radio and you'd get like cups of orange juice and stuff. I remember yeah. like enjoying that song, having a wee kind of boogie about to that. Um, but yeah, it's very, very kind of basic mu music and also very kind of naive political ideas. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. which... And, and again, you know, that's why if you went to see Crass back then, as you know yourself, like the majority of the audience, average age would probably be like 15 or something. Yeah. And looking back sure. now, it's, to me, it would be a very, very strange thing for somebody to get into Crass, yeah. you know, past the age of like 18 or something. Because I mean, what can you really relate to? I mean, yeah. obviously, by that time, you'll, you'll realise a lot of these ideas are, let us just say, fairly simplistic and probably um, inapplicable yeah. in a social, economic or cultural context. Yeah. Be, to be generous and diplomatic, yeah. um, but you know when you're when you're that young, it's maybe just the extremity of the ideas yeah. and and how kind of detached they are yeah. from from what you understand as how you know it's just it's essentially just like very very easy answers, very yeah. easy answers to incredibly complex, complex. economic and uh, political and social issues, which yeah. you, you have no comprehension of when you're that age, and you have no desire to. I mean, it's like. You know, you'll, you'll get these people, I remember like, I think it was Ian, Ian Rose or someone, he was talking to like some, some gig or something, talking to like some sort of young anarchist kids. And, uh, and the guy was going about, oh yeah, yeah, he's Spain, you know, in 1936, in um, the Spanish Civil War, and there was the FAI and the CIT, and Ian was just like, do you actually know the process to get somebody elected as an MP? No, no, no. He's going. You might want to kind of learn about that. <laughs> you know, it's just, but you had no, you had no, Knowledge of these things. It wasn't yeah, until yeah. I did like politics at um, college that I, yeah. I learned anything. But you had no interest in it. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, I suppose it's not exciting. And yeah. when, you're, when you're a kid, the bottom line is you just want to get into stuff that's exciting and your mates are into and stuff like that. And yeah. one, once it sort of became not really 1983, I think kind of even after like the Falcons or something, I think things changed just a wee bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And also other things coming along which perhaps seemed, seemed more yeah. fun, more yeah. exciting, and you get into yeah. other bands. Thanks yes. a lot, mate. Like, um, I think it's probably until the mid '80s when I'd, I'd even heard the likes of the Stooges yeah, or yeah. the Velvet Underground. Yeah, MC Five. Yeah, MC Five. Another example. Aye. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I remember hearing New York Dolls one time. I'm just thinking, this 
fucking shite. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've written the Ramones I never liked. Yeah. But I remember hearing all these kind of like seminal New York, you know, these influences, you know, the first rock bands, you know, was it MC5, was it like, you know, hearing that in, in the mid 80s. And, yeah. and by that time, you know, you think, oh, this is a lot, this is a lot cooler, this is a lot yeah, kind yeah. of sexier, yeah. this is just a lot better, really, than yeah. Yeah. dirt. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was all for me. It was all about having a voice, wasn't it? That, yeah, that, yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. And I think that that way was where electro came in. It was street music. Yeah, and it, yeah. My streets yeah. in Livingston, punk was what we listened to. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then you moved to Manchester, and the, the music of the yeah. streets there was, yeah. was, was electro. Oh, was, exactly, exactly. Yeah. When all the street signs albums came yeah. out, that's what yeah. I remember. Like on the school bus, there was. We don't, someone would always forget about us and it was always like, oh, he's got electro, like, oh, number seven's out next week. Yeah. Hello, mate, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Can I get you anything? No, no. You're okay? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, wow, totally banging into electro albums when they came out. And then, obviously, from that, you know, like a year or two later, yeah, there's yeah. the first kind of proto house records coming over. Yeah. And by 87, you're like banging to house and then acid and yeah, Detroit yeah. techno and everything like that. Yeah. But it was, a bit, it was a bit later than 87, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of like. Oh, yeah. Certainly, yeah. you know, yeah. jumping, they're going to be, you know, you're about to say the midweek yeah. acid club. Yes, yeah, Wednesday, 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 yeah, that must have been yeah. 88 or maybe 89. Peter's thing, that was 88, yeah. definitely, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. That, that was probably the first club that I'd heard house music all the way through, yeah. you know, because. Yeah. Yogi, for example, would mix things up with yes, a bit of yeah. a bit of hip hop, a bit of soul. And you get a bit James of Brown tracks, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um and Spanish Hot and not Spanish, well Spanish Hot yeah. yeah. as well. Yeah. And Kangaroo yeah. Club too. Yeah. 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 But going back just whilst we're still on punk, so you didn't you join the Apostles or were you I joined the Apostles, I had been in Political Asylum yeah. um prior to that, recorded played their first gigs with them, uh, recorded the Fresh Eight demo tape. And then I was down in London. I actually had just been over to Paris with my mum, and uh, she went back. She went back to work, and I was just like, "Oh, you know, I'll go and stay with the with um, you know the kind of folk I've been writing to, the apostles." Went down to stay with them. Went into the studio with Andy and the members of that band, the Assassins of Hope, uh, because Mike and Leon, who were the two brothers in the Assassins of Hope, I believe one of them's now in that band, refuse all. Uh, they were just wanting to record another demo tape, and Andy said he'd sing and play guitar on it. So I went into studio with them, and at the time, the Apostles had actually had Razzle, who had been in the dark and had just formed this. He just joined us by Hanoi Rocks. So it was Razzle who was in Hanoi Rocks, was actually drumming for the Apostles at this time. But I think it was around about the time Hanoi Rocks were taken off, and had just got signed. So Razzle obviously had to. You know, did the right yeah, decision, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a bit of a no-brainer. So he went for um, went for Hanoi Rocks. So Andy was just like, "Oh well, you know, we've, we're meant to be recording a new Apostles EP in a month or so. Would you fancy drumming on it? Would you fancy joining the band?" And I was like, "Fucking right, you know." I mean, when it, you know, that was like, but I'd imagine if you're into football, joining your favourite team as like kind of you know forward or whatever was like I was just totally oh amazing amazing so I'm going down to London and kind of drumming for what was my favourite band at the time you know, I was early Apostle stuff I still think some of the early stuff's really amazing actually the more kind of experimental stuff when they when they recorded started recording records it was probably like down the hill all the way from now but um, some of the early stuff's still, still absolutely astounding music and I was totally into them and then, and then I was in them for Maybe like two years, okay. but and I recorded four 
four singles with it. But what would have been also quite important back then was the uh, the introduction of stagecoach. Yes, I know exactly. Yeah, the overnight bus to London for five quid. Exactly, exactly. I know, I remember that. It was yeah, it was And I went to Stirling as well. I think it was like six, seven pounds or something. The mega bus. Yeah, yeah. I remember when it went. I remember when it went up to eleven. Yeah. Um, and then I just like bumped down to the train as well because I was so. I mean, I was like thirteen, fourteen, and I'd literally just lie under the seats you could, you could actually just kind of fit under the seats and sometimes uh you know you see the guy coming along checking the tickets and you just go along and you just you're just a kid if the guy said oh do you got your tickets it's all oh, my my mum's got it she's asleep and you'd just be like okay I never i never got pulled once yeah. never got pulled once i did have one mental experience which was one time when um i was down in the apostles i was in the squad went to went to score some hash from these a uh, squat which had been taken over by Hell's Angels, which they were dealing from. What I didn't realise was the cops had it under observation. So I went to this squat when I was like 13, 14, Hell's Angels business trip, dealing, dealing flat, um, which they'd sort of cuckooed to, to score some hash. And then uh, the cops kind of swarmed down in it. And uh, they thought I was I was like a runaway and everything. And I was down to the Goddess Apostle single. And my folks were away in. They were away on holiday. I didn't even maybe know where my folks were, so I couldn't get a hold of them. And then they ended up like phoning up my headmaster and saying like they they, were, they put me on this train, said I had to go back to Scotland, and my headmaster was gonna like pick me up at the station as like a responsible adult because my folks couldn't be contacted. So I basically just got on the train and then I just jumped straight off because I wasn't fucking missing like recording the apostles and go. I think I just got off at the next door, just bumped the train straight back, and within like an hour or two, I was I was back in back in like the a possible squat in Hackney. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of learning a drum parts for like going in the studio the next day. What did the headmaster say? Oh, I just got to, to, I got, I got expelled from school shortly after that anyway, yeah, yeah. so he just, I fucking hate me. <laughs> I was totally, totally uncontrollable then. I was an absolute terror. I feel, I feel terrible. terrible and then, and then Deke, where did Deke come into your Deke, life? well funnily enough, Deke's, uh, Deke's always been in my life. Uh, Deke's parents were friends with my parents. Were they? Okay. Yeah. So, Deke and his brother Donnie used to come and visit when I was, uh, you know, just very, very young, like years before punk, years yeah. and years and years before punk. And it was only one time when I was actually, when Oi Polloi had just formed, and, you know, they'd advertise in sounds, they'd always be mentioned in sounds, you know, their cassettes, they were last in the Mohicans cassette. I think that was what I was writing off for. So I'd sent off a letter to... Um, to get a copy of the tape yeah, yeah. on Royal Crescent, I still remember the address, Five yeah, yeah. Royal Crescent, Deke's yeah. old address, Deke's yeah. parents' address, and uh, my mum was like, oh, we know them, that's, that's like, remember Deke and Donnie with the red hair, they used to come and stay, I was like, oh, is that them? <laughs> and, uh, and then right enough, and then so shortly after that I went through to Edinburgh one time, uh, met up with Deke, went to like an early practice, yeah, I think it's before they were even gigging, they used to rehearse in a guy called Jason's Attic. Um, out in sort of Kings Now kind of area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've always just always known Deke, and then we shared a flat together for a number of years. It was me, Deke, Ian, Ian Slaughter, Pigs for Slaughter, Ian Sound Survey, and uh, Murphy, who was drummer in the Alternative. Okay. So it was a uh, sort of Cannon Mills, Cannon Mills and Arco Squad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they were all down there, but um, Deke's just always stayed good mates. And whenever they play London, he usually stays in my flat and yeah, just yeah. get a hangout. And, yeah. 
Amazing guy, amazing band as well. I mean, this is incredible. Nearly about 40, well, over 40 years have been going now. Yeah, yeah. We go from strength to strength. I'm not a performer. The James, the James Brown of punk. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that any band's still going, yeah. you know, 40 or 15 yeah. years down yeah. the yeah. line. You know, it's, uh, it's just quite difficult to keep. Yes, I know. Just to, keep that, just to keep that enthusiasm, just while you've been jaded. I mean, even, you know, my fairly limited experiences, and obviously nothing in comparison with Deke, it's just like now I want to fly, I want to stay in a hotel. Yeah. You know what I mean? The idea of just going somewhere and saying, like, well, where are you going to go? And all these stories, like, I think I did a role for Vice about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I was to go to a place now and they're just like, where are we going to sleep? It's just like, oh, you sleep, you know, in the venue. Have you not brought sleeping bags? I'm like, nah, fuck that, man. I, oh, I told you the story. I want, some, he, I want some creature comforts. When he came through to Livingston to, uh, to see on parole in the Scotties play, he introduced himself, him and I think it was Gogs. And... Uh, gig went on fine, no problems, I went elsewhere, came back to the house, they missed the last bus home, so they uh, knew my mum and dad's address yeah. from the fanzine, so I went and knocked my mum and dad up, yeah. you know, my mum, I've got in, my mum's like, you've got two fellas staying here, yeah. I'm like, who's in there now, these fellas from Edinburgh, yeah. uh, okay, so yeah. my mum gave them yeah. breakfast the next day, and uh, you know, they went and got the bus. And that was my introduction to uh, Oi Polite. You know. <laughs> I'm not sure if they'd rehearsed at that point, but yeah. you know, they that was certainly had the band as a yes. name. Yes. Yes. You know. uh, so it, punk moved on, and you you were widening your tastes. Well, I kind of always had been. I'd always, I'd always, even from you know the kind of early days, I'd always bought records which weren't punk records. I was always into like dance records. Yeah. You know, and uh, as I say, from from very early 80s. I mean, when the first Electro albums come out, like 80, 82 or something? By 82, I was I was buying like Electro stuff, New York stuff, and, and you'd get these other records that came out, you know, like your Joyce Sims, your, you know, more sort of commercial stuff. But then again, you know, that's because of exposure, you know, other than John Peel, who didn't exactly, I mean, he played a fair bit of Electro and hip hop. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, there was all the Sugar Hill stuff and all the Tommy Boy records, yeah. which I was getting yeah. from that age. And yeah. they, they must, you know, I say like the message. I mean, when did I come out? Like 18, 79 or 80? No, 81, yeah. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. It got re-released in it a couple of times. Right, right, yeah. Times. No, because I remember John Peel playing yeah. that. And I remember I remember getting that around about the same time as like a six-minute war single. You know, the message. It was 12 yeah, inches yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. And it cost like a packet, but I was just like, you know, probably the same amount of money that I could have got three other punk singles for. But I was just like, Gotta get that. And I do remember. I think it was like the third uh, uh, six-minute war single, which yeah. is quite, you know, it's quite again Catholic taste. Catholic taste. Did you see them when they performed at the, uh, the Glasgow? Yes, in yes, the, yes. The yeah, a yeah, about eighty-four. Oh, I only saw them the once. Eighty-four. Yeah, it was just when they done that single. We don't work for free. Yeah, yeah. Which was yeah. pretty, kind of pretty crap. Yeah, I think that, that's that when they won the Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, but he, African Barbato as well, he played... Uh, oh, I didn't see that. He I... played the Cali. Right. Uh, 84, end of 84. But he, they only performed three, four Yeah, songs. just like a PA type thing. thing. No, they had a full live band. Right. They had a full live band and uh, they all had the uniforms on. Yeah. It was, it was amazing, but it was only three or four songs. Yeah. That was it, they were off, you know. Yeah. And then a week after that, or two weeks after that, the Redskins played. Oh, right. oh the, the, that tour, the that, Red Wedge tour? No, it was no? a different, different yeah. one. I think it was probably one of the final tours they did, but they were a great band. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, I, I think musically, they, they, they were also an introduction into soul music for yes. me. Yes, know, Because yeah. of the horns and yeah. Levi. And, yeah, and, no, know, a, lot, a lot of my mates were, were very into the Redskins. Yeah. 
So you, you're just about to release a. Uh, I know we're skipping quite a bit, but you know, we're trying to keep the inside. No, 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 got me done, got me done. You're just about to release <coughs> a, a compilation of anarcho punk. Indeed, indeed, on the uh, world renowned Optimo Especio Records, no less. Yeah. The, the Glasgow label. Um, yes, this has taken. I mean, I thought it was about six years. Keith was saying it was uh, closer to ten since we still had the idea. It was basically myself and Keith, yeah. uh, AKA D, um, JD Twitch, DJ yeah. Twitch, yeah. Uh, who I've known since about 86, because he used to do the Saturdays, he used to do a club called The Underground on Saturday nights at Shady Ladies. Right. When I started, the first club I did was Wednesday nights at Shady Ladies, Sex Beat. Right, so yeah. we were, I was doing the Wednesday night, he was doing yeah. the Saturday night. Yeah. Obviously he went on to do Pure. Yeah. But uh, before that, they did UFO. UFO. I DJed at UFO. Yeah. UFO was brilliant. UFO was they, brilliant. They did it. I did it the, with and Craig. War as well. They did War okay, as yeah, well. Yeah, aye, yeah. aye. Yeah. So we did that, and then, and then I was doing so much at the time. But you know, obviously myself and Keith have obviously, I've always kind of stayed in touch, and quite a similar uh, trajectory into music. Yeah. And a long, long, long time to, to license all the tracks. Yeah. Because when we were halfway there, uh, then, you know, Keith, oh, things came up in Keith's life. I think he got married or something. I think maybe he's been married a couple of times since the time we were trying to get this album together. I think he got married one of the times. Yeah. And then, of course, there was all the, the legal side of um, the Crass catalogue being sold to Derek Burkett um, yeah. at uh, Ollie, as in one, one Little Independent, as they're called now. Yeah. So we had to all we had to license all the individual tracks through them. Some in some of the instances, the tracks which aren't on Crass Records yeah. uh, were obviously licensed through their respective labels or you know the rights holders. But yeah, I mean it's double album, double vinyl album and downloads, um, artwork, G vouchers very very kindly allowed us to use two of our most iconic yeah. pieces: the O America with the Statue of Liberty and of course the smiling. Um, soldier, and you know it's got tracks by it's like a cast of thousands. It's you know Crass, lots of Pink Indians, um, Alternative, Apostles, The Mob, Omega Tribe, Lack of Knowledge, Chumbawamba, The X. Um, you know, all the more it's interesting. Inter you know, not not so much the kind of hard, hardcore punk stuff, but all of the more are kind of interesting and hardcore bands. Yeah, yeah. And we've also got um, unreleased altern alternate studio tracks by Crass, we've got a, a kind of unreleased version of Bloody Revolutions, unreleased version of The Mob, first version they recorded of The Mob, No Doves Fly Here, yeah, Full yeah. Apostles, Mob Violence. Um, so it should be quite a, should be quite a release, and oh my word, it's, it's taken a hell, a hell of a lot of time to get it together. Who owns all the copyright then, or the, the mechanical rights to all the, all the Crass? Did people sign contracts with them, or was it a very open relationship? You know what, I don't entirely know that. Um, Crass were, crass were always like very together yeah. on on those kind of sides. I'd yeah. imagine folk possibly did sign yeah. contracts. Yeah. But even then, you know, it's like all this bollocks about what's her name from Southern had been withholding all these master reels to bands and stuff, which thankfully are now being released through yeah. um, Sean's label. Uh, okay. What they call real records or tape, okay. demo tape yeah, records yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, go ahead and fucking like press them. What's yeah. going to happen? What are they yeah. going to do? They're yeah. going to like. You know, you're not going to get folk from Southern coming around and like breaking your leg. It's just like, yeah. go and do it, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. That, that's it, always been my attitude, basically. Just just go for it and what yeah. can happen if, you know, if anything does happen, I you deal with it then. But 
But because a lot of it is, you know, it's similar to the uh, the cherry red compilations. You you do a deal and the records yeah. have been sold at a certain price. Yeah. Well, it's like and, then, and then forty years later, yeah. it's been sold for you know. It's like, I mean, all, the, all, all, the, all these things, all these things are totally one hundred percent invalid. I mean, yeah. when you sign, when you sign any contract, that contract is actually for the the label to yeah. keep the record in production. Yeah. If they fail to do that, yeah. which obviously, if any record has accrued such value, and nobody, I mean, there's like crass records have actually been in production for the past forty years, yeah. but none of these other things are. Yeah, it's not yeah. like you, you, it's not like you'd be able to walk into like HMV and order a copy of the alternative yeah. album ten yeah, years yeah. ago. These things have been out of production, yeah. so the 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 business has basically reneged on their side of the contract contract yeah. agreement. So it's yeah. it's invalidated. I'll yeah. never stand up in court. So yeah. these people should just go for it. I mean, I've, I've still got my letter from No Future yeah. telling me that they've uh, folded and uh, assigned the catalogue over to another record label and that they will be in touch with me shortly. Yeah. Never ever got in touch yeah. with me. At least you had the, the courtesy to write you. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's what I would have yeah. thought. You know, yeah. and, and I've spoken to them and I've done work with them and uh, they've always said, oh, there's no money, you know. But then you realise. The amount of other bands that uh, 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 are in similar situations yes. that they've never, never accounted for any yes. of the uh, the rights, and it, it's kind of like it's quite a shady, yeah. shady business. Oh, and course, not even course, totally. not even having the respect to just yeah. to inform yeah. somebody that it's coming out in CD. Yeah. You know, this is what the uh, the, the splits are. Not, I know yeah. there's not a lot of money yeah. involved in it. It's just a principle. I know exactly, exactly. Honestly, the amount of the, I mean, I had to do obviously registered with. Uh, PMS yeah, yeah. recently, um, so I've got an agent basically chasing up all my payments for all that, and I had to make a list of all. I want something like insane, like about 180 records. Yeah. So something absolutely bomb. Even if it's just like one compilation, you know, one political asylum tracks yeah. on like some compilation yeah. or something. Yeah. But it still adds up because whoever put that out might have basically had that track played on his college radio or something like that. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of money. And then when you find out that you know ex-band members have registered all the tracks under their name, or or even just things like you know, every now and again I'll check in Discogs. It's like oh, you know, some label in Australia has put out a copy of that. It's yeah. like what did you know? It's not like it's not like I'm hard to find on social media or yeah, something. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Just taking yeah. the face. No, but you you had a problem recently, didn't you? With yeah, yeah, yeah. This was yeah, this was some some German label. Basically, originally they were gonna re-release um, Fresh 8 demo, which yeah. I was like totally 100%, 100% up for. Um, you know, gave them all the help I possibly could. And then I was just, and then they were, and then I just found that basically, what the guy was insisting on in doing was putting, I mean, the demo lasted minus, minus the last song, which was a, a live song, Fresh uh, White Poppies. So it lasts like 54 minutes or something like that. And you can't have anything on the side of vinyl yeah. more than 22. Point twenty two seconds or something. I mean, you can. Oh, the, you but can, it, but the sound, the sound, sound goes high. Yeah. yeah. So if you were going to have something which was like twenty seven minutes, yeah. the sound is just like atrocious. And yeah. I know that myself because all the Apostles records, all the Apostles records, just sound so shy because that's precisely what he did. But and then he wasn't getting it remastered as well, yeah, yeah. so it's just like this is going to sound garbage. There, there is a way of doing it, and it, you're better off to do it via DMM rather yes. than lacquers. Yeah, because yeah. What you get there is you get the consistency yes. with the cut rather yeah. than the human eye. Yes, the, yes, you, yes. You know, the human eye, yeah. kind of like yeah. where there's a bit of movement on mm. the, uh, the the cut. Uh, but these but people don't even generally kind of do stuff like that these days. Anyway, it's just I was really amazed, you know, for not getting uh, white labels done. Yeah, yeah. It's because, oh, no, no, you know, the pressing plan's good. It's like, oh, well, I don't want it to be, yeah. you know... You know, in this one instance where it's my record for the press for the pressing plant, not to be good. Because yeah, yeah. when we got the the part one reissues, eventually it was Sacred Bones in America that put out that reissued the part one. 
Funeral Parade. But originally there was like a, um, a London label which was going to put that out. And we got the test pressings back. Thankfully, the guy. No, I didn't get the test pressings back at all. That was the whole thing. The guy didn't get any test pressings done. He just basically said, all right, so we'll get the run. So we had like, you know, 500 copies of the album delivered. Yeah. Went down, picked up a couple, I was listening to it. And I was just. A, this sounds fucking shy. It sounds like basically it's been played down like yeah. a phone 10 years ago yeah, to somebody. Yeah. And then halfway through the song, suddenly it's like, beep, you know, like uh, a sort of code signal. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck? And, and then I noticed on the record, all the songs were like a kind of regimented length. Yeah. It just almost looked like a kind of Serato desk, you know. Something looked very, very wrong. And then the guy was just, oh, they must have fucked up the pressing plan. So he went and got another 500 pressed, another 500 copies of the, yeah, of, yeah. Of the record. No, yeah. no test pressings again. Yeah. And I was just like, these are, these are just exactly the same. What the yeah. fuck is it? Yeah, yeah. And of course, what it is, is the pressing band, nobody had actually been listening to the records. Well, they they been cut them. Exactly, they exactly. They exactly. You know and what, what this, this chump had done, nice guy, but yeah, yeah. you know, obviously a bit of a fucking brain donor if he's done this. Yeah. Rather than sending him, rather than sending the pressing plant, the uh, sound files of yeah. the remastered, we had professionally remastered from the original yeah. studio tapes, yeah. as Mark Farelli still had the original studio tapes with the part one releases. Rather than getting that done, oh, okay, cheers, mate. Nice one. Um, rather than getting that done, he he also had a sound file on his laptop that he just downloaded the EPs from YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So he had just been sending the pressing. He'd sent the pressing MP3. plan MP3s yeah. downloaded from YouTube, yeah, yeah. which have a, a signal. That's yeah, how yeah, they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where that came from. Yeah. See, so, I'm, I'm having a. Not a I'm trying to explain to an artist at the moment that he supplied me some masters, and he's like, these masters fit all. I'm like, masters don't all fit all because masters for vinyl yeah. are different. Yeah, of you course. need to take the limiters oh, he, he's off. Gonna you need to send you the actual plates. Yeah, yeah. He, just he just forget like, about just, that. Yeah. Just take the limiters off and let the yeah. engineer do what yeah. he has yeah. to do, yeah. you know. And uh, he still doesn't get it, you know. So I have Well, he thinks he's going to be like saving himself like £40 or well, something. He, like. he doesn't understand that what he's done because he's peaked everything kind yeah. really. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's going to get a bit of distortion under yeah. when it gets yeah. cut. Yeah. You know, but he, he, it's, you know, pressing records, it's an art. And you, you need exactly. to have a, 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 an expert kind of yeah. like doing the. Uh, oh, spe the cut, especially the, the remastering as well. Yeah. I mean, folk think, oh, it's been remastered. What do you mean by remastered? Oh, I just ran it through a dusty on my laptop. Yeah. Just like. Yeah. No. Steady. It, you know, I, I think one of my, I did a, a 10,000 CD run once and uh, there was about 30 seconds missing from the yeah. back of the, one of the songs and the record label phoned me up and said, it's missing 30 seconds, yeah. it's your fault. Yeah. I'm like, no, we can only press what you give us. Yes. And then, so we went through this ding dong before it finally came out that he hadn't listened to the master yeah. before he sent it to yeah. us. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the engineer had made a mistake when he put yeah. it, you know, and so he, 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 in essence it was his fault and he had to pay for another 5,000 CD. Yeah. You know, so you've always got to listen to your masters. I think that's the uh, the point that I'm uh, trying to make. Yeah. Chris Lowe, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure's all mine. Pleasure's yeah. all mine. Thank you very much for a splendid hour. Thank you. Splendid blather. Nice one. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, Chris.